Let's try that again. Good morning. Just want to make sure you're awake and you're with us. Uh, we have a great uh, tradition here that whenever someone names the name of Jesus and is baptized into Christ, we present them with a Bible and have a special prayer of blessing. Last Sunday, Aiden Honeycutt was baptized by his father. Aiden, won't you make your way on up here? Aiden, I know your dad was giving you a hard time about having to give a speech or make some statement, but he was just kidding. Um, this is all us to love on you and to tell you how much we support you and will always be here for you. And I want you to remember this day. As you look out at this crowd, this is your family. A lot of us remember the day, the moment when we gave our life to Jesus, and we're proud of you. So we give you this Bible so you can continue to study the Word, and now Bill also, one of our shepherds, will say a special prayer for you. Let's bow together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with thanksgiving in our hearts and ask you to bless Aiden. Bless him as he has been prepared to be a child of yours. We thank you for Aiden's parents and the guidance that they have provided him in loving and learning of your love for him and for Jesus. I pray that you will continue to bless Aiden and bless us as his church family that we might provide for him guidance and instructions that will continue to make him a faithful Christian all the days of his life. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Some of the names that we use for Jesus are more obvious than others. Today we're going to look at an Old Testament prophecy that talks about a child being born. We read just a part of that earlier, and I want us to uh, look at the context. So it's going to be on the screen. You may want to follow in your Bibles as well. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Notice the, the context here as we, as we get into this. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fueled for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me give a little history or background to this prophecy so we can better understand what we are reading here. This came during the time of uh, the reign of a very wicked king named Ahaz. You might remember that name when you studied the Old Testament. Miserable king. It was a miserable time. This was shortly after the year 732 B.C. And I mention that because there was an Assyrian king named Tiglath-Pileser. 
He was the king of Assyria from about 745 to 727 B.C. He's mentioned in our Bibles in the book of 2 Kings. Just before the fall of Samaria, he came to the northern part of Israel, up to the region of, as mentioned in our text, Naphtali and Zebulun. Invaded them, plundered them, took many of the Hebrews captive. It was hard times. Scary times if you were a Jew. Everything was falling apart. So this prophecy compares how things were at that moment under Ahaz, how terrible it was, to how things will be when God raises up a successor to his throne. So the word of encouragement to the people were, yes, it is bad now, but a new day is coming. A son is going to be born. The righteousness is going to reign again. Now, commentaries will explain that there was an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy was Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. You read about him leading a great revival, turning people back to God. He was a good king, and he had a good reign. However, that was just a partial fulfillment. You may have noticed in the Old Testament, sometimes in a prophecy, there is an initial fulfillment and then a later, a more full com- uh, fulfillment. So the immediate fulfillment was Hezekiah. The ultimate fulfillment would be the coming Messiah. So fast forward. In Matthew's gospel, the Holy Spirit directs Matthew to share this passage from Isaiah. And the Lord obviously was prophesying here about the coming of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Just after the temptation with the devil. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Galilees, a Galilee of the Gentiles, and the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. I guarantee you to the Jews who read Matthew's gospel, and if you remember, Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews. So the Jews who were reading this, hearing this, They recognized that prophet from Isaiah, even if Matthew had not mentioned Isaiah's name. Isaiah mentioned this child being born, the son who was given, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And as one author stated, there was never any king lauded with the titles of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So, Just by way of introduction, I put this on the screen. Notice three things about this prophecy. First, God will bring deliverance through a child. God's answer, the future of the hope, would come through the birth of a child. Second, the child will be both born and given. I think it's interesting that Isaiah wrote it this way. He'll be born and given, born of the flesh. He's a man. He's one of us. Not just born. His destiny was decided before he was born. Not just some boy who grew up to become a king, That's why he came. The child was destined to establish a kingdom. And then third, the kingdom will expand under God's mighty hand. This kingdom that the child was both born and given will bring a kingdom where righteous is going to reign and be established forever. God's going to bring this about, and what he establishes is eternal. Now, we read this, and we know it came true. We believe this was what happened in a manger in Bethlehem. 
and his name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's been born. The Son was given. He's established a kingdom that will never end. Every Sunday, we gather and worship this King, this One, this answer to a promise. Not just that, that boy that was born, but the King that was revealed. And the kingdom that was inaugurated. What I want to do in our lesson today is just go through these titles, these names, and, and, and won't be exhausted, but just a little bit to help us understand why these names refer to Jesus so well. So the first term is wonderful. Wonderful. In Hebrew, it means to separate or dis distinguish. And the idea that this son is going to be totally unique, absolutely amazing, a source of constant wonder. So when you think wonderful, think that his person is remarkable. There's never going to be a person like him. And we see this is true of Jesus from the very beginning. In fact, remember when the shepherds came at his birth, Luke chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Some translations say they were amazed, they were astonished, they marveled. This news brought amazement to everybody who heard it. It was wonderful. So even at the time of his birth, this prophecy came true. A few chapters later, when Jesus spoke, Luke chapter 4, verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So it's early on in his ministry, very next chapter, Luke chapter 5. You remember this is the time when Jesus was teaching from one of the fishermen's boats that had an unsuccessful night of preaching, so Jesus, of, of fishing, so Jesus tells them to fish again. Then their boats are just so full, running over. Peter is taking it all in. Do you remember his response? He fell at Jesus' feet. It was wonderful. He was just trying to take it all in. Throughout the Gospels, you find that kind of awe, that kind of awareness. This is no ordinary person. He is wonderful. He is, the word we might use is awesome. But even as I thought about that, I thought we today tend to overuse our words or overstate our words because we use awesome to refer to all kinds of things. The game yesterday was awesome. The concert was awesome. The pizza is awesome. Our preacher is awesome. I mean, you know, we just throw it out there so flippantly. The point here, there's really only one who is awesome, who is so full of wonder. When you see him, when you hear him, when you experience him, just like Peter, you just, you just fall at his feet. It's really just beyond words. If we had been there, if we had seen him, if we'd witnessed his actions, I think the word that would come to mind is wonderful. It's just wonderful. Filled with wonder to be with him, to know him. And wonder inevitably leads to worship. Well, second, it says counselor. Now, in some translations, it says wonderful counselor. 
And son, there's a comma. His name is Wonderful. His name is Counselor. I think it can go both ways, but it suggests his will is knowable. Because we know man is not good at directing his steps. The Bible says that. Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. History affirms that. But here's the problem. We think we're good at it. We think we know what to do. But we're not very good at figuring out what to do or where to go or how to respond. And when people are hurting, when people are searching, when they're turning for help, note where they turn. Because that reveals a lot about who they are. Years ago, Simon turned to Jesus. Look at John chapter 6, verse 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy because he has all the credentials necessary to be our counselor. First, because he is God. He knows what's best for us. But second, because he became man, so then we know that he can relate to us. He understands what we're going through. He sympathizes. But I want to suggest two ways that he can be our wonderful counselor. And first is that Jesus guides us through the word. Several scriptures, but look at this one. Psalm 119, verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. They are my counselors. They guide us. They tell us what we need to know, how we need to respond, what we need to do, what we need to believe. Even as I say that, I hope you can think of a time where Jesus' word came to you at the right time. He guided you to know what was true and right. The other way is through his spirit. Look at Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And then verse 14, for all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So Jesus is our counselor. He guides his people through his Spirit. And then he says the name is Mighty God. Mighty God. Don't you love that name? Mighty God. So it seems the older I get, the more I appreciate that because I realize how not mighty I am. How little I know. As much as I study, as much as I try, I'm more and more aware of how small I am and how big God is. But if Jesus is a mighty God, we have access to all the resources that he offers so his power is available. Think about that. When you think about Jesus as mighty God, his power is available. Jesus was meek, but he was never weak. He was always powerful. All throughout the Gospels, beginning with his birth, you see that Jesus came with power. The angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 35 through 37, and note the words here, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born with you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Even the conception of this child is revealed with power. Look at Luke 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. 
And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. So one reason why people were amazed and they had such wonder at the things he did is because he was filled with the power of the Spirit. Then notice Luke chapter 9 verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So not only did he have the power of the Spirit, he gave them power. We may not struggle believing that Christ has power, but do we struggle to believe that he can work his power in us and through us? Maybe that's why we need to pray more. Look how Paul prayed, Colossians 1, verse 9 through 11. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then look at verse 11. Look at his, look at his, his wisdom, his, the wording here. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That's what Paul was praying for. That's God's goal. For us to receive strength through his power. And that's the power that only a mighty God can give. See, this is not a, a paranoid king who's trying to, to make sure he keeps control of his subjects. This is a powerful king who shares that power. And again, even as I say that, maybe you're thinking of times where you have experienced the power of God working right in the middle of your lives. He is a mighty God. And then he says, everlasting Father. Why would Jesus be called Everlasting Father? In fact, those two words almost sound contradictory. How can you be everlasting and be a father? We need to understand that phrase. In the ancient Near East, father and son, that terms were often used to describe a king and deity. The king was the son and the deity was the father. Or it could be used to submission. David called King Saul his father. In the Hebrew language, father also carried the idea of originator or author. Even today, we'll use the word uh, founding father or forefathers. And we know exactly what that term means. So this title suggests that this child is going to be the author or the originator of eternal life. He's going to be the one to make it happen. Before it was just a promise. Before it was just a prophecy. This is the plan coming to fruition. And he's going to bring this amazing blessing to all of his kingdom citizens. So the idea of everlasting father means his promise is unshakable. He's going to author it. He's going to originate it. He's going to bring about something that's going to last forever. John 3, 16. Jesus' words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. And there's the word. Have eternal life Jesus said to Martha, John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked her. Do you believe this? See, this is the issue. Do we have faith to believe that Jesus Christ has, has brought about or fathered, originated this eternity that we can live forever, that you and I as his child can have this inheritance that is eternal? Well, the answer is found in Scripture, several places, but, but look especially at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, look at verse 14, how much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is a mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. It's all about the cross. It goes back to the cross. The cross made it possible for all of us to receive the promised eternal inheritance. Jesus Christ dealt with our sin problem. That's what keeps us from having that eternal life. Our sin was the blockade, and we can believe it. Look at his words again in John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So you can say, yes, I believe this. Because he came to earth for me. He lived his life for me. He died on the cross for me. He came back from the dead for me. He ascended to heaven for me. And he's coming back for me. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 28. How do we respond? Therefore, let us be grateful. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming God. We thank God for all that we receive through him. As Jesus, in this case, our everlasting father. And then he says, Prince of Peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. This last one might be the most needed because peace seems to be in short supply. But the peace he's talking about does not come from the outside in. You can't rub it on like ocean, like lotion. You can't put it on like clothes. Only this Prince of Peace gives it. And it comes from the inside out. Prince of Peace means his rest is available. See, it doesn't mean just he is peaceful. The name means he gives peace. He brings peace. He shares his peace. He gives it to our souls. Look at John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. So you get the setting here. First day of the week, Jesus has ascended. 
They'd heard the news. They'd come back from the grave. They didn't quite believe it yet. Look how they respond. Look at the mood. Look at the setting. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Glad. That's an accurate translation, but I like some others better. I think it's more descriptive. Filled with joy, overjoyed, rejoiced. When I read glad, I think a little sideways smile. When I think overjoyed, I'm thinking they're standing up, they're clapping, they're hugging, they're looking at each other going, is this real? Back to that wonder, that amazement. Yes, it's real. Yes, I believe. He's back from the grave. See, peace is not the absence of trouble. The non-believing Jews were still a threat. Peace was the presence of the Prince of Peace. And we can have that peace. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. He is the Prince of Peace See, that peace comes when we receive Him. I hope you, you've gathered that as we've gone through these series of names about Jesus. It's all about being in Christ. When we are in Him, then we receive the benefits. Colossians 3.15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Wherever the King is, there is peace. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus as the King of Kings. He was born to be a king, and he's the king that brings peace. So if there's a part of your life, if you have the moment or a situation where you're not experiencing peace, is that telling you that maybe Jesus is not yet Lord over that situation, that struggle, that burden, that part of your life? I want to close by sharing a story with you. Jenny Williams wrote a story about what happened to her one day. She has a very odd Christmas decoration. It's a nativity scene, but there's no baby Jesus. I can tell you the story, but I do better just to, to read her words because she, she said it so well. She said, each year at Christmas, Jenny Williams puts out a partial nativity set. It reminds her of a deeper truth about our Savior's birth. It all started years ago when Mrs. Williams was doing some last-minute Christmas shopping, and she had spotted something kind of on the floor, but then she heard a mother scold her young daughter for putting something in her mouth. The little girl said, it was little baby Jesus, and she was not putting it in her mouth. She was kissing it. The mother didn't care. She just wanted the child to put it down. Oblivious to her mom's concern, Sarah kept talking about the little figurine. Look, Mommy, it's the manger, and little baby Jesus broke off. Her mother was focused on other things until Sarah asked, Mommy, can we buy this little baby Jesus? With that, the lady lost her temper. I told you to put that thing down. And she moved toward her little child, and Mrs. Williams fully expected something ugly to occur. But rather than an outburst of rage, the woman crumpled in her daughter's arms and began to weep. 
The little girl tried to console her mother, apologizing for her behavior. I'm sorry, mother. I won't ask for anything else. I'll put baby Jesus back in the manger. And the mother apologized as well, and she expressed sorrow for their impoverished plight and told Sarah how much she wished she could buy her something extra. And then she tried to boost her daughter's confidence in the future, saying, maybe next year we can get a real Christmas tree. The little girl said, Mommy, I don't need this little baby Jesus anyhow, because my Sunday school teacher says that Jesus really lives in your heart, and I'm glad Jesus lives in my heart. Aren't you, Mommy? The mom and the little girl walked to the checkout, bought their handful of necessities. Overcome by what she had just witnessed, Mrs. Williams scrambled to pick up the broken nativity set and rushed to the front. By this time, Sarah and her, little, her mother had, were walking out. So she had the clerk to take the baby Jesus to the little girl while she remained back to pay for the set. The child graciously accepted the gift and they gave the little doll a great big kiss. And so now, when guests see the, the nativity set at Jenny Williams' house and they ask, where's baby Jesus? She remembers the words of that beautiful little girl and said, he's here in my heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Folks, we don't have peace in this world. And if we're in Christ, we can have His peace. And I'm convinced if we have His peace, those who do not will see it. And they'll notice. Because we're not going to be as ill-tempered. We're not going to be as cranky. We're going to be a lot more pleasing to be around because not necessarily our circumstances are better or any different, but because we have the Prince of Peace in our heart. Our invitation song is to encourage you to say yes to Jesus. Follow Aidan's example. Have your sins washed away in baptism. Let him give you his spirit and accept his promise to never leave you. That's the good news of Jesus. If you want to make that happen, we're going to stand and sing this song to encourage you. Or if we can pray for you. Oh.